You don't appreciate the damage you're causing our people back home by leading this resistance. What little they bring is a token with one purpose, to make our people fight over their scraps. We've beaten them. They have nothing left. All we got is what we got. money, receive more attention, women may even come to find you attractive in time. Hello and welcome to Who Are You? A Babylon 5 Watchcast hosted by two friends who have gotten to know each other while rewatching a favorite show of the childhood, Babylon 5. I'm Jafer. And I'm Laura. And today, Laura, I get to ask you, what do you want? You still haven't answered my question, Ambassador. What do you want? Well, what do you mean, what do I want? What do you want? Do you really want to know what I want? Do you really want to know the truth? Come on, I really, really, really want a zig a zig Does that answer your question? I want to show you the cool things I got today. Yay! <laughs> so, in case you didn't realize, listener, we are going to do more plot poker, where mm-hmm. we use the Babylon 5 collectible card game to make up a story about Babylon 5. And the previous packs we had, Jafar, you ordered those, so you could probably tell me. Were... They were from the Premier Revised set. Okay, so that was like the base set. It's the base game. It was the second edition of the base game that they put out pretty rapidly. There was a handful of like spelling errors and stuff oh, no. in the first one because they rushed it. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the big difference is they did like a single printing and it had these spelling errors. And then they put out the next set, and then they went back and reprinted the first set again. Yeah, yeah. So we had the base set, and that was very season one slash season two, right? Yes. And I don't even know if there was much season one in it. It was very season two is what I feel like it was. A lot of the season one stuff was in the starter decks that we did not bother with. Yeah. So there's a handful of cards the last card in each pack of that set was a random card from the starter decks. Okay, okay. But that's where your, like, Londos and Delens and Captain Sinclairs were. Yeah. Those were all locked to the starter decks. It would be nice to have a Captain Sinclair, wouldn't it? Oh, well. <laughs> or Commander you can buy Sinclair. buy an Earth starter deck yeah. and get one. Yeah. Well, so we went ahead and we ordered the Great War. So I got my mm-hmm. box of Great War, I think. Oh, maybe it was last week. Yeah, and you already have yeah. one. I, I was a little bit behind on the eBay ordering, so I got my Great War. I think we paid $40 for Great War. Yeah, uh, 30 or 40 bucks for a box. Yeah, it was a buy it now, so you know yeah. we didn't have to do the whole bid thing. But I think you opened yours and you weren't sure. It seemed a little bit like there was some Season 4-y stuff in there, Season 4. Yeah, so I opened mine up. I, ha- I have had mine for a couple of weeks now. Mm-hmm. And I do like opening packs of cards. It does I mean, who make doesn't? me feel. Yeah, it's a good feeling. And so, uh, in a moment of weakness, after a couple bad hours of work, I opened up a couple of packs and just looked at some of the cards. And then I shoved them back in the pack and put it randomly in there. I don't even remember what I pulled, but I'll, I'll, I have, so I'll reopen those when we get to them. But it was very late season three, early season four stuff. Yeah. And so I went ahead, and when I was ordering my Great War, I saw that the Shadows mm-hmm. was also out there. 
And it's got a nice Mr. Morton on the cover. I'll I'll post a picture of this on our Facebook and send it to the Discord. But I was looking at it. You know, I, I don't know a lot about the collectible card game. You might know more. It looks like these came out in the same year, in 1998, yeah. The Shadows and the Great War. So I don't know if this is going to... I don't know what this is going to have in store for us. It is a bit more season two, season three. Okay. Late season two, early season three. So... The Shadows expansion adds Vorlon and Shadow factions to the game. Okay, okay. But we so just went a, with the Shadows a... marketing. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you, I, you ha- I don't know if they had their own starter decks or what. I don't think they did. Because part of the whole thing in the cards was the Shadow marks and the Vorlon marks for like Destiny and stuff. And mm-hmm. it, so it leans into that a lot. Um, I don't know if you could actually play as the Vorlons or the Shadows, to be perfectly honest, but it adds a yeah. lot of those cards to the game. And it is a bit more about the build up to the war than the war itself, which is what the Great War expansion is. Yeah. Okay. So this is going to be great. And we got two boxes of the Shadows in our eBay. Yeah. So this was a this was one where we actually were bidding on it. And we wound it up with two boxes of the Shadows for $50 total. So nice. that seems like a great deal. Like Yeah, the the season one, the the first set boxes, I think I paid thirty five for each. Yeah. So about in there. I really yeah. expected somebody to have a bot that was gonna swoop in and outbid us at the last second. I will say I've like looked ahead a bit, so there's three more expansions for us, right? Mm-hmm. There's Shattered Dreams, which is like the end of season four. Okay, okay. And then there is uh, Wheel of Fire, which is just season five. Oh, okay. That one was out when they they were started making the game. Season five was starting to air, so there's nothing from season five until that set. Okay. And then there is a Psycore expansion after the show was done. Now that looked expensive on eBay. The Wheel of Fire boxes are like one twenty, one thirty a pop. Ooh. And the Psycore boxes are also quite expensive. Yeah, we saw a Psycore um, that was up, and I think. I don't know, maybe it was still up for bid, but I think it was around 200. Yeah, even the Shattered Dreams boxes are like 80. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. There isn't one for Crusade or uh Legend of the Rangers or any of that stuff. Oh, there so. isn't. That's disappointing. I'll have to check. I know the Star Wars CCG has a fan community that continued to make cards for it after the business had lost the license. Oh, okay. So there might be some diehards out there that made crusade cards 15 years ago for the game. Yeah, that'd be fun. I just like to see the whatever they came up with. You know, I don't need actual yeah. cards. You can just send me a PDF or something. That'd be fun. But I was wondering if I should open any of the shadows today, if you would want to know. Yeah, like, open a pack. Open a pack and see what's in open it. Open a pack, see what we get, see okay. what's in there. All right, let's see what Mr. Morden has in store for me. This what This box says... Each pack contains cards suitable for any race. It doesn't say there's a rare card like the other box does. Yeah. Lame. So you'll see this when you get yours, but it's got a nice, like, shadowy kind of guy on the foil on and the package. Gold, gold foiling looks like. Yeah. It says 12 card booster pack. These are 275 per pack, where the regular, the Great War, they're 250. There's Namel. A Narn character who is an agent of the Kari. I think this might be someone we're going to meet. That name doesn't sound well, familiar ca- at all. Well, the Kari aren't around anymore, so. Oh, yeah. You're right. So this had to be somebody we already met 
And uh, yeah. what's funny is the picture on the card you can't really see, but the the big Narn there, that's Jakar, and Namel must be on the screen behind him. He's the guy who tells Jakar <laughs> the assassin is coming for him. That's what that oh, scene is. So? I remember that. Okay. Yeah. All right. We have two predictable, which just looks like some sort of a scenario between Jakar and Londo hmm. yelling at each other in the councilable room. Predictable. Build infrastructure. And it's uh, Jakar talking to another Narn in his quarters, it looks like. So hmm. probably trying to build things with the Narn resistance, maybe. Ooh, we've got heavy resistance. And this picture is Garibaldi in that riot gear we saw in... Uh, oh, yeah, from the dream sequence. Yes. When we were on Babylon 4 and things kept happening. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Looking ahead, we've got this war council room that I don't think we've seen yet. Fighters. We have a card about destiny with Delenn on it. A refit fleet enhancement, modern refit. So this this might be inspired by the um, when we refitted the station yeah. in season two with those special cannons and stuff. It got all that extra firepower. Yeah, aiding the shadows, and we've got that iconic shot of Londo on Centauri Prime looking up and seeing the shadows in the sky. Mm. We got a support fleet, Centauri support fleet. We know who they're supporting at this point in the the series. Repairs and impasse. So I didn't even get. I got one character that we don't really remember. So, yeah. Well, I'll look forward to opening more of those. Yeah. I think when we go forward, I condensed all of my piles that I had. I had like piles down to like 15 or something of like each card type. I took it down to like the top four or five of each category that I thought would be fun from that set. So that way we've got a little bit of space. It's a little random. Yeah. When we open the new stuff, but not as. Not too much stuff from the old cards. Super general with the, the old cards. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to that. We're probably going to do plot poker here in a few episodes. So we'll yeah. have more of those open then. We'll get to make up some episodes with new stuff. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. That's one of my favorite segments to do because I like opening packs and I like improv and it's combining two of those things. Heck so. yes. All right. Well, what do we have today? We have a scripted episode of Babylon 5 to talk about. We do. Uh, season 3, Episode 3, A Day in the Strife, mm-hmm. which is like A Day in the Life, but, mm-hmm. but bad. I see you, JMS. We open on the Pilots Guild after a note that they are conducting weapons inspections on all ships. Ivanova notes that they can raise the docking fees and hire more inspectors to decrease the increased wait time from these weapons inspections. Mm-hmm. But they all hate that. Oh, yeah. We don't want more fees, even if it means yeah. better service. Exactly. That's the American way. One guy out in the crowd is like, they took our guns. That's very good. For some reason, we let this gentleman into the meeting holding a giant crowbar. Right. I don't get it. And I he's very upset. It. And he's all like, oh, you can't take our weapons. And it's all like, dude, this station has single-handedly destroyed a Centauri heavy cruiser. Like, they could just blow you the fuck up. There's nothing on your ship that is going to be a threat to this station. This station is run by the military. <laughs> Side note, Second Amendment bros, if you think you can actually overthrow the U.S. government, you are delusional. I'm just going to throw that out there into the ether right now. 
Yeah. I got no problem. If we want to talk about the Second Amendment, we can talk about the Second Amendment. I have probably a different opinion than most people expect me to have on this one, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. It's your curveball. Um, so, but the idea that the Second Amendment is there so that the U.S. citizens can overthrow the government in the drone age mm-hmm. is absolutely absurd. It is, yeah. it is the single greatest logical fallacy in any pro Second Amendment argument I've ever heard, because it's yeah. just absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, it got insane in the nuclear weapons era, I think, but eh, it's oh, neither here nor there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's been, I, I would say it's been a bad argument for a long time, mm-hmm. but it has not become a better argument over time. It continues to just become a worse and worse argument for anyways sure. guy carrying space crowbar doesn't care he challenges sheridan to a fight this is when indiana jones would just stand up and shoot the guy but sheridan grabs a guard's gun sticks it in the dude's pocket and takes the crowbar the dude backs down ivanova adjourns the meeting and then gives sheridan the requisite amount of shit and then it's revealed that he actually unloaded the gun before he handed it to the guy so very he smart. was never concerned Yeah, I love that little bit that he just palmed the energy cap. And of course, the guy's not paying enough attention to notice that that happened or that, you know, this thing doesn't weigh the right amount. He probably hasn't used a PPG. Yeah. He doesn't really know. But yeah, I mean, as far as I know, they are only military issue. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there's a great variance in the types of guns that are running around. Yeah. So unless you happen to have experience with that particular pistol. And also, who knows how much those caps weigh? Uh-huh. They're not yeah. traditional bullets. It it might be like the weight of a double-A battery. Like, we True. might not be talking True. about a significant amount of weight to detect from one's pocket. True. But this kind of shoots a hole in our theory that we had, I think, back in season one, where we were like, hmm, can you fire somebody else's PPG? Is there maybe a... Oh, yeah. Fingerprint like a thing? Or bio- lock? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But if he felt like is the word I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. If he felt like he had to palm that energy cap, I think not. (laughs) (laughs) Question answered. And another question that's immediately answered is what's going on with the Narn seat on the council? Has Counselor Nafar arrives and introduces himself as Jakar's replacement for the council? Yeah. Nafar has showed up and and, you know, he kind of feels that Jakar's presence perhaps is fomenting some resistance they they know something's mm-hmm. up with jakar and that it's just making things worse back home so he's ready to take over but sheridan refuses to give up that sanctuary that he granted to jakar back at the end of season two nafar stays near sheridan in his office you know explaining that he wants to take over the leadership of the local narn population as well to try and stop some of the uh, seditious acts Jakar is fermenting back home. Yeah. Over at Earhart's, we have exhausted Franklin working triples, and Garibaldi confines in Ivanova that he trusts Sheridan to get him through the coming war. He read his personnel file and is all like, if there's anyone who can do it, it's this guy. Uh-huh. This is what he does. Is he takes inferior defensive forces and wins wars with them somehow. Mm-hmm. Ivanova's a little affronted that Garibaldi has read this personnel file and I'm like yeah he's security he should <laughs> right he should have some access to this sort of thing he needs to know it if somebody's a security me. risk yeah I was not affronted at all yeah after this Franklin runs out of the club bathroom with a sudden burst of energy like mm. bro 
rule number one is don't do blow in the club bathroom. Yeah. You broke the rule. Yeah. I I was going to equate it to meth, but they're very similar, aren't they? I call it space blow for the rest of the episode. So. Space blow. Yeah, that's fine. We can interject space meth, you know, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Garibaldi's immediately suspicious. Garibaldi knows what certain things look like, certain behaviors. Mm-hmm. Not only is he security, but it's also a little personal. As we find out later. Yeah, and we can kind of see that he is automatically suspicious that Franklin is somehow ready to dance when he was only going to get like two hours of sleep or something. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely concerned. Yeah. yeah. It, it's de- it's a, it's concern, not suspicion, I feel. Okay, I get maybe suspicion's a little dark word, but he knows something's up. Yeah. Nafar goes to talk to Londo, who's thinking of visiting the Narn homeworld since, oh. you know, he didn't get a good look at it. Last time he was there, he was a little far away. And Nafar's just like, dude. He's such an asshole in this scene. I I espouse that this is Lando at his absolute worst. Yes. Yes. I think this is this is him at his worst in the entire I can't re- there there may be another moment that is he is worse. And even when he was like actively genociding, he was at least conscious about it. Yeah, he was a little horrified. We saw his expression. Yeah. He he's was... reveling in it here. Yes. It is gross and uncomfortable. And it's very strange compared to the Londo we saw in that last episode that was very tenderly standing over Linear and mm-hmm. wanting to talk to him and keep him awake or, you know, yeah. help him wake up. And here he's just so gross. He's so yeah. gross. He, I mean, he, he tries to make his reasoning clear. He's, he, you know, he's like, if we don't break their pride, then this is just going to happen again in a hundred years. But he is just disgusting here. Yeah. Veer immediately, once Nafar has walked out of the room, calls Londo on this bullshit and says something like, was that necessary? (laughs) Yeah. Which is a very, very valid way for Veer to try to question him since Veer is an underling. You know, he can't just be like, dude, you were gross. But we can tell here that Veer is starting to grow some spine that he doesn't want to put up with this anymore. He doesn't want to stand idly by and watch Londo do and say these things. And I have to wonder if this whole scene is just story fodder for being upset at Veer. Yeah. uh, and, And wanting to be rid of Veer. Yeah. Because that's coming a little bit later in the episode. Mm-hmm. And that was not a story choice. Oh, really? Do tell. We'll talk about it when we get there. Yeah. Okay. All right. Mostly because it's on a different page of my physical handwritten notes, and I can't read it all right now. So <laughs> We'll get there. But <laughs> cutting away from that scene, we go to CNC, and we mm-hmm. have, I guess, a B-plot introduction? We do have it's it's the B plot, yeah. Yeah, this is not the A plot for sure. Uh, as Lieutenant Corwin detects some kind of approaching alien probe that we don't yeah. know, we have not met this alien probe before. Yeah, it's first contact. And it's going to take the computer time to decode the message that's being sent. Mm-hmm. It's a very complicated, lengthy message that's being sent. Very interesting. So put a pin in that. Meanwhile, Alondo goes to Delenn, asking to return the favor of piloting the shuttle down to Epsilon 3 by placing Veer as the Centauri ambassador to Mimbar. 
I mean, he is right when he describes this as there's no one better for this job. Veer is absolutely oh. perfect for this job. You will find him most inoffensive. A hundred percent. I don't think there's a better Centauri in the Republic to be a better ambassador to Mimbar than For sure. hundred percent. He's respectful. Mm -hmm. He's quiet. Mm -hmm. He, he already is Lanier as a friend. Yeah. Like he, he's, he's a Centauri who has friends who are Mimbari outside mm -hmm. of necessarily work stuff. It feels like Yeah. he wouldn't even spy on you. He'd consider it rude. So good. Yeah. And he's so curious, you know, Veer has, yeah. has shown us his curiosity for other alien races before, and he has a curiosity that certainly Londo does not. Mm -hmm. So I, I think Delenn he's right. sees through this bullshit, though. Yeah. Delenn's yeah, all like, knows. you don't want him there for him. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe a little, but what's actually going on? Like, yeah, don't, what's don't really in me, it Londo. for you? Right. And um, she calls him out. It's like, you know, he says Veer's going to get in the way of the work that needs to be done. And Delenn's all like, you just don't want him to be around because he makes you feel guilty. Yeah. He's been your conscience lately. And he's mm -hmm. he's actually reminded you that you do have choices every time you've said you don't have a choice. <laughs> yep. And you're tired of hearing that. And, you know, she she calls it out. But, you know, Delenn ultimately says she'll think about it because ultimately he is right. The yeah. best Centauri for the job is Veer. After this, Garibaldi has Franklin over for dinner as a friend to talk about addiction, both his and Franklin's. Yeah. I think he goes about this the correct way. I know Franklin gets yeah. very defensive and it doesn't go well, but I think acknowledging your fault and then aligning it with sure. a troubling pattern you see in a friend mm -hmm. is the right way to broach this topic. Yeah, I think that's... The only way. I think there's no good way. I don't think yeah. the odds of anyone getting a good reception from someone who is actively in an addiction is very high. I don't think that mm -hmm. your your odds of getting a good response are very good at all. But if you have to do it, I think that's a good way to go about it, right? I'd, yeah. I don't know. My, a lot of my knowledge on that sort of subject just comes from shows like Intervention. Yeah. So, you know, I think and I think they do have experts that try to frame these things right for that sort of setting and that's a good way to go about it is you know i am flawed and i'm telling you i'm flawed and here's something that worries me mm -hmm. so but yeah it was never gonna go well with franklin says no i don't have a problem with the space blow you know garibaldi calls him out directly about doing it in the bathroom yeah and you know here's the problem though you know franklin's a doctor and it's legal if a doctor prescribes it, right? It's all right. I'm a doctor. Yeah. And I mean, Franklin gets the kind of defensive that is an admittance of feeling guilty. I I don't believe that getting this type of defensive is an admittance of guilt, to mm -hmm. be absolutely clear. Sure. But, it is, but he definitely feels guilty. I don't think he thinks he's done wrong, but he clearly is thinking about his actions a bit more now. Yeah, definitely. Like, he has more emotional reaction to it than he would if he felt yeah. perfectly fine about what he was doing. You know we don't get in this episode that I would have really liked that would have been a very Babylon 5 thing to do? What's that? And maybe it's coming later because there's more of this storyline down the road and I've just forgotten. But a letter from that doctor who lost her license from overstimming from oh, season yes. one with the alien healing machine. Mm-hmm. 
just like a little like him getting a letter from her asking about the healing machine or something i think in the background just like a little one or two lines would have been a really nice touch yeah if if there was some kind of communication especially since he was so interested in her daughter yeah <laughs> you know if she just came back as some sort of a recurring character and mentioned her mother every now and again yeah. or had some sort of communication from her mother yeah, just a little something. And she's not the only doctor we've seen that had a problem because we had the the president's doctor show up and he had been overusing stems a lot in his escape. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was another moment that shadowed towards this can be a problem in this particular workplace Field. setting. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, we get a reminder that, hey, we know that Narn hiding in the background. Yeah, I didn't. I, I needed the reminder. I did not clock it on my own. <laughs> they make a point of kind of hiding him back there mm-hmm. for all but the first scene we see him. I knew because of my research, mm-hmm. um, it's brought up in the episode guide that they got him back. But yeah, it's the uh, it's the guy that Sheridan was on the Strebe ship with, the guy that he like threw over his shoulders and fought off Daft Punk. Yeah, they got to escape together. Yeah. His, he has a name. His name's Talon. So uh, apparently, you know, he... Was was he not on Narn or had he just come back to Narn? I think I he was on Narn in a hospital healing for a while is what he, he had said. He had had okay. to go heal. Yeah, he had been pretty banged up by the street. I think he missed the war. Right. He was not fighting in the war. And now he's in service to Nafar basically as a bodyguard. And he's still very appreciative of what Sheridan did for him there. Mm-hmm. He wants to take care of Sheridan. <laughs> We get back to our B plot, and it's this probe has dropped an IQ test on the station. Top quiz, hotshot. And if they fail, it will explode and vaporize the station. Yep. I thought (laughs) I had some bad testing experiences in college. Yikes. (laughs) Yeah, this thing wants to know about physics, quantum mechanics, biology, genetics, a whole bunch of stuff. And it's offering... A reward. It's not just all stick. There's some carrot here, too. And it's yeah, saying that a if cure you... for all diseases and technological advances beyond your wildest dreams. You know, if you if you can answer these, you're going to get some good stuff. And I guess they have to do it within 24 hours. We have one day. Yeah, there's a time limit. I didn't write down the time limit, but there's that there was a time limit. Yeah, there's a ticking clock. We have to have a ticking yeah. clock in an episode like this. Like this probe sure. is not just going to hang here forever. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, yeah, just take. 50 years to get the answers. It's cool. Mm-hmm. I'm a probe. I don't give a shit. Right. <laughs> that would make a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> I've been floating through hyperspace for who knows how long because, no, it didn't even come out the jump gate. No, so yeah, it was just space space. Around space. <laughs> yeah. So who knows how old this thing is or what it's been doing. Don't give a yeah. shit. It's a probe. The thing that really bothers me about this B-plot, and I'll go ahead and just throw this in here, even though I'm going to probably come back to it at our ratings is that we don't ask a single ambassador about this damn probe. Right! The first thing I am doing is sending a picture of this damn thing to Delenn. Uh-huh. Or Kosh! I mean... Right? It kind of looks for Lottie! Uh-huh. Hey, Kosh, this one of yours! <laughs> right, right. I'm like, we have right. all of these aliens and representatives and ambassadors on this station, and we're not going to ask a single one of them to help us out here? Now, I do think the reason for that, and this is not a good reason, to Uh be absolutely clear, but I think the reason for that is because it's promised 
this super advanced technology. Oh, so it would be like proprietary to Earth. Like we don't want to share yeah, it. They don't want to yeah. share it. Um, yeah. Also, like because none of their peers, none of the other Reese's have this, mm-hmm. it's kind of an admittance of them not finding the probe. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess so. you could logic it that way. But if that was the case, just give us two f- fucking throwaway lines of dialogue. Just yeah. say it. Yeah. It needs something here because that was the first thought I had was bullshit. Why aren't we asking yeah. somebody about this? Well, and see, the thing, too, going back to the Vorlons, is that they might have those things. We don't really know because we don't yeah. know enough about the Vorlons. So is it Vorlon? It'd be worth it to ask, I think. Yep. There is actually a very interesting inspiration for this plot line. Do tell. We'll get to it at the end because that's when it comes into play. fair. Why do you keep doing this? Because my notes are spread out over four pages because that's the size of my pages of my notebook. I'll buy a (laughs) bigger notebook next time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, keep us hanging. We'll we'll stay. (laughs) We got to make sure everyone stays listening for a reason. I mean, I got to stay in this podcast anyway. Otherwise, how will you know who we thank? Uh-huh. Right. Nafar talks to Jakar, who is done with this shit. But Nafar has bad news. If Jakar doesn't go home, then the families of the Narn remaining on B5 will become targets for the occupiers. Yeah. I really see both Nafar and Jakar's points of view. Mm-hmm. I really do. Like, you know, I guess where Nafar is kind of coming from is we... You need some time to get our shit together. You're fomenting this resistance right now. People are dying. People have died. We need some time to recover, get back on our feet, and then we can think about resisting. But right now, we got to stop the people dying, Jakar. And I think that's a a very valid point, too. You know, Jakar's point is that, you know, we should be fighting for our freedom. And Nafar is just kind of arguing for we need to be doing it differently. And they both... (laughs) <laughs> can't they they don't agree on a point of view about that yep we cut to med lab and franklin is just frustrated as all hell but he doesn't stim he looks at them closes the drawer yeah he he's gonna get through this the right way he's gonna try yeah after this londo tells veer he's going to mimbar and he's not happy about it mm-hmm. now this is where it's at in my notes the real reason for this was Stephen first was cast on the sitcom Misery Loves Company. Okay. I know nothing about this sitcom. I know the name, I guess. It ran for four episodes. They filmed eight. Oh. Mm -hmm. I know that Christopher Maloney of, I think it's Law & Order fame or SVU or Mm -hmm. CSI, one of those, he was in the the principal cast. (laughs) And Dennis Rodman was in the first episode. That's all I found out about this show. Uh, Stephen First is not even like when you Google the show and you see like the top eight cast members, you don't even see Stephen first. Okay. (laughs) But he had been cast on the show. They wanted to keep him on B5, but still let him go do this thing that was going to pay him more and be better for his career and stuff. Sure. sure. So they kind of were just like, you can be around when you can be around. When you know you've got a couple weeks in your schedule, a couple weeks in advance, let us know. We'll put Veer in the episode. Yeah. You know, like we'll make it work with you. I mean, this show needs fear. Fear is very important. And I appreciate that they did that. And I think it's very funny that he's the second cast person we've written off to Minbar. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good place because it's a place we never go. Yeah. Well, we do. But by the time we get there, 
But it is kind of a utopian, ideal sort of sounding place with all its crystals yeah. and whatever. So it's like yeah, very... Mimbar, everything's perfect there. Yeah, except it's for... what Earth is saying it is. Right, right. So it's nice that it's nice that he gets to go there. Meanwhile, the local Narn population of B five get ready to jump Nafar because fuck that guy. Yeah. Yeah, I, so, I see their point of view, too. I get it. Do you have the episode pulled up? I can. Oh, you don't need it. I can oh, okay. describe it. But if you are if you have the episode in front of you, listener, with uh, 1320 left in the episode, one of these Narn has brass knuckles that shoot laser beams. Freaking laser beams. Laser targeted brass knuckles. It's it's like brass knuckle gun. Laser gun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? <laughs> we, we never see anything like this again. We, uh-huh. It's completely out of the blue, and I it's just so bizarre and so weird. It's looked like someone glued a Lego brick with, like, four knobs on it to a pair of brass knuckles, <laughs> and we get, like, a weird little glowing special effect as it shoots stuff. Man, um, the, these Narn are always jumping their leaders in hallways, right? <laughs> these Narn don't know how to respect authority. I had a whole thing about Taser Nucks, but the threat is gone. This is a real thing, Taser Nux. You know what, listener? Get on the Discord and ask Ben to tell the story about laser Taser Nux. There we go. Just okay. get on our Discord. If you never make it to the end of the episode, we've got a Discord. Get on our Discord. Go there. Ask Ben for the story about Taser Nux. He'll be thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of his great regrets in life is not buying those Taser Nux. Whatever the hell that is. Oh, man. That does sound like a regret. Anyways, Jakar breaks that shit up and is like, fine, let's just get this over with. I'll go to Homeworld and they'll fucking kill me. If that's what mm-hmm. we got to do, we're going to fucking do it. Yeah, he's he's ready to lay down his life for other people to stop dying, which yeah. I think, you know, is a noble, noble sentiment, at least. It's very Jakar as he's come into the character that he is. Yes, for sure. Back in C&C, Ivanova is checking for spelling errors for the probe, which if it's running through a translator to their language anyways. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever. Sheridan wants to power on the weapons very slowly so that the probe doesn't notice. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a little bit about scheduling the shitty meeting for after the station explodes. Big move. Yeah, that's, that's definitely Sheridan. That's our guy. <laughs> yeah, before some shade that Ivanova does not handle well. Uh, I don't think it's particularly well-deserved either. Yeah, I don't think so either. Garibaldi goes to see Jakar, who is packing. He tries to talk him out of going and is genuinely kind of touched by it. Andreas acts the hell out of this scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, he acts yeah. the hell out of every scene because it's Andreas, but... Yes. Yeah, no, he's he's touched. He doesn't, you know, Garibaldi doesn't want him to go... Yeah. And they've just sort of had this burgeoning friendship, you know, where we found out that Garibaldi really respected Jakar Mm -hmm. and he wants more time and he doesn't want another person in his life to die. You know, he says that maudlin thing. Yeah. But Jakar is a person of faith and he's okay with his fate being in the hands of Jaquan. So he, he doesn't change his mind, even though Garibaldi has made this nice plea. Franklin is a complete asshole. And I'm guessing the implication here, they don't say it, is that he's going through stim withdrawal. Oh, yeah. I thought it was just general stress is how I read it. But no, that is a good call that, you know, he 
put that vial away earlier, and now yeah. he's acting like a cranky jerk. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of sweaty and stuff, too. There's a little bit more to it than just him being upset. Yeah, um, for sure. Which is what makes me think that it's more than just stress and that it's uh, withdrawal. But it's never said. I don't know how you would get away with saying it besides maybe a note from him saying it like, oh, I think I'm going through stem withdrawal in like his log or something. Yeah. But that would be acknowledging that he has a problem, and he's which he's also there. not ready to do. Right. So I don't think you can say it mm -hmm. logically in the story. I don't think there's a way to, because if anyone sees him going through withdrawals, they're going to call him out on the bullshit and the storyline ends real quick. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I do think he is right to be a little cranky with this doctor because, you know, surely when they send all these questions yeah. to Earth to help answer them, they said. The situation was explained, I hope. Yeah. That there's a 500,000 megaton explosion that will go off if we don't answer these questions. And she tells him that there's two that they haven't gotten answered because there's only one scientist we know that can answer them. And he's on vacation and we can't bother him on vacation. And it's like... Motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> call I, him. <laughs> that is a feeble excuse. You get him on the pager and you get him to look at these now because people's lives are on the line. I yeah. I think that Franklin has a right to be a little bit bitchy about it. He finally gives in, though, and does yeah. another stim here. The Narn on the station gather for a soapbox speech by Nafar. And then we cut back up to CNC, where Sheridan cancels the transmit to the probe, fearing mm -hmm. it's an attack. And he's right. He's, he's very suspicious. He yeah. has a bad feeling about this whole thing. He calls it a Terminator drone a couple of times. And then uh, he proves his point by the drone starts to fly away. So they have one of their little security bots go and transmit the stuff. And then it explodes off in the distance. Yeah. Now, this is actually the official position of the U.S. government on how to handle this situation. Oh, really? So the inspiration for this plot was JMS was doing research into the congressional committee that would eventually form SETI. Okay. And when this congressional committee was like, okay, we're going to look for extraterrestrial life, well, before we do this, we need a set of rules for how the government is going to handle anything we find out there. Sure. We got to have rules for everything, right? Right. So so we have to go through and set up all these protocols for how we're going to handle first contact with aliens should it happen. Because we don't know what this is. You know, we, we're turning on these satellites and looking for stuff or bro well, broadcasting it first. And then they stop broadcasting because they realized that was a bad idea and started looking for stuff. So... They came up with all these things, and one of the things was like, okay, so we get a contact from an alien, and they, like, we find a message, and it's this list of super advanced science questions and stuff. Mm -hmm. How do we handle that? And they're like, okay, well, if they're asking these, they're checking not just to see a society, but they're checking to see its technological development. Right. Where are you? Yeah. Which means they're not inherently altruistic. Oh, uh, okay. And because of that, they feared that any answer to these that was sufficient would show that the planet was a threat and would be treated as such and wiped out before they had a chance to counterattack or find out who they were talking to. Yeah. It's a very easy logical leap, right? Yeah. From we're asking all these questions and it, the offer the probe makes us suspicious. Like, yeah. 
we're going to give you all these things if you can answer these questions. It's like, well, if we can answer those questions, how close are we to these things on our own? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it is a very devious little test. Yep. So that's where this plot came from was JMS reading and hearing and listening about documentation from a congressional committee in the 70s about extraterrestrial life. Who would have thought that something useful would have come out of that? (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Jakar gets stopped on his way to space TSA, and Mm -hmm. they prevent him from going. Freedom is more important, and all of their families understand that. He has to stay and continue leading the resistance. Yeah, several Narns step in his way, with the final one being Talon. Mm -hmm. Talon has presumably flipped from being Nifar's bodyguard and wants to join the effort on the station. At the end here, Franklin lays to Garibaldi about not using stims during the episode. Yeah. What's up with that, Franklin? Not cool. Yeah. Because it wasn't even like Garibaldi asked. Garibaldi didn't ask him if he used stims during this ridiculous crisis they just went through. Mm -hmm. He just said that he didn't. Yeah, he just out and out made this claim, which is not something a person who didn't feel guilty about it would do. For sure. And then the episode fades to black as Veer departs from Mimbar at Space TSA with Londo looking on. Yeah. Bye, Veer. Enjoy Mimbar. We know he He will. He will for four episodes. All right. Well, how'd you feel about this one? Okay. So I'm not sure I can call this average. I really like the the plot about Jakar, but Mm -hmm. it does kind of wrap up in a weird way for me. Like there's no defining moment that changes Jakar's mind other than these people ask him not to go. But he'd already, you know, committed to, I would rather save lives than continue this resistance right now. So that's that turn for me wasn't quite as earned as it could have been. And then the whole alien probe B plot just does not work for me. <laughs> I kind of gave that away earlier in the episode when I said, yeah. you know, I, this doesn't, why Why aren't we talking to anybody else about this? That's fair. So I don't think, I don't know if I want to go with two, but for me, it didn't hit average Babylon 5 level. It's better than bad, but it does seem a little, things are rushed. Things aren't fully explained. I think we would have been better off, honestly, without the alien probe plot in this one. Yeah, I know that that kind of changes your title entirely because the, the <laughs> thing that we were going for here was we have one day and here's the crazy things that are happening in this one day. Yeah. We kind of already did that for me back in season two when we had the a Now for a Word episode. Yeah, the ISN episode. Right. So I don't know. This this seems to me to be trying to do the same thing as that episode, just in a regular episode style and not as mm-hmm. good. So I would give it more like a two and a half, I think. I also wrote down two and a half for this one. It's pretty middle of the road. It's not bad. It's not great. I I consider it a little bit below average. Right. Because I had multiple points where I thought just a single line of dialogue would improve the episode. Right, right. And that is not something that I commonly feel about Babylon 5 as a show. Mm-hmm. And I feel that about a lot of media very often. Yeah. It's like one of my number one complaints is like, you could just throw in a line of dialogue here that would have handled that issue. Or, mm-hmm. you know, it would have made this whole, you know, like Wonder, Wonder Woman 1984 skips all over the place. Just throw in a line about kids wishing it was Christmas and then New Year's and then July 4th or something. 
and it makes the plot instantly more tolerable because mm-hmm. the it's very incoherent. And so if you just lean into that and make it incoherent on purpose with a single line of dialogue, it's instantly a better movie. Yeah. And so I don't often say that about Babylon 5. I'm maybe one every couple of episodes, but to have multiple points in an episode where I thought a single line right. of dialogue would improve it tells mm-hmm. me that it was not as carefully written as most of it. Yeah, I think almost every single plot in this one has a spot where it's like, uh, if you just said this too, yeah, then I would feel better. But you didn't, and so I don't. <laughs> so, All right. Yeah. Well, that's the episode. Next up, we have Season 3, Episode 4, Passing Through Jacenemy. Lita Alexander returns, has Kasha's aid. A monk mm. on board the station experiences terrifying visions. Yeah. I think this will be a markedly different episode. I love this next episode. Like, <laughs> it is memorable for sure. It was before I rewatched it, it was on my top five episodes in the series. I have already done my rewatch for next episode. Yeah. So I will not spoil my current feelings on it, which are admittedly a lot more nuanced than my normal watch throughs of Babylon 5. But I'm real excited to talk about this next episode. Me too. A very good one. But before we're going to do that, we're going to go ahead and shout out some thank yous. Thank you, Jeremy Siegel, for our lovely theme music. You can find more of his work at jeremysiegel42.bandcamp.com. And thank you to Angry Duck Time Machine on Instagram for our podcast artwork. And once again, Discord. Hit us up on there. We've got a wonderful community, memes and conversations. There's a lot of talk about the reboot lately, which has been really fun. And then, you know, just it's a cool place to be. Shoot us an email. Who are you? B5 at gmail.com. We do mailbag segments. We're, we're going to do one next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it will be too late by the time this airs to get on that one. But send us mail for the next time. Yeah, there will be more. Yep. We'll see you next week, Internet. All right. Bye. Seen a nun with brass knuckles shooting freaking laser beams? <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs>